What's up, guys and gals? We are back riding the pine with the left hand coach here on another week. Al, how's it going? It's going well, going well. Looking forward to uh, talking some major sporting events tonight. Yeah, absolutely. So tonight we're going to talk about the NBA playoffs, which we have been talking about. And oh, my dear Lord, Boston just threw it straight to Tyrese Maxey. That that was like 82 or was that 82 Georgetown where they threw it? Jordan, they just threw it straight to James Worthy. That literally looks like what just happened. But um, oh my gosh, he just straight up just threw it. <laughs> you needed a pretty good freshman though that year to make a big time shot. They did. But uh, tonight we'll talk about the NBA playoffs. We will then hit a little bit of uh, baseball, which have after the first month we will kind of get our observations. MLB, MLB. MLB. Yeah. So we'll, then we'll hit our top 25 preview of the week, which will be the Alabama Crimson Tide. And then our top 10 the list, the top 10 NBA players currently. But tonight, Kohler, I want to talk about Jerry Reinsdorf. Jerry Reinsdorf, obviously the owner of the Bulls and the White Sox. And, and the, the futility of the White Sox is what brought me to this point. Two or three years ago, the White Sox had one of the most exciting young cores in baseball. So what does Reinsdorf do? He goes out and hires Tony La Russa, the most old-school manager that no one was going to get along with, and everybody told him that, and guess what? They didn't get along with him. They've blown this amazing window. Now their players are, you know, unhappy or traded, and they're one of the laughingstocks of baseball. This is a team that, since Reinsdorf bought them, has been to one World Series. Granted, they won the World Series, but they've only been to one. And now they look like they're in the midst of a, I mean, baseball rebuilds aren't basketball or football rebuilds. They're long rebuild processes, and they look like they are in the middle of another seven, eight-year rebuild, which is on the heels of their last seven to eight-year rebuild. And if that's not bad enough with Reinsdorf, he also owns the Bulls. Now, the pushback there is going to be, well, they've won six NBA championships. Okay, well, that's great. They also had a kid named Michael Jordan on those teams who most regard as the greatest basketball player to ever step foot on the floor. They also had Scottie Pippen, a top 25 all-time NBA player. They also had Dennis Rodman for three of those teams, one of the top defenders of all time. Now, that was an accumulation of talent, but I promise you, they weren't going there to play for Jerry Reinsdorf. They weren't going there to play for the guy he handpicked as his GM, Jerry Krause, who they openly hated. I, I just don't see – and, again, you can't tell me what to do with their money, but it just seems like Reinsdorf now is continually, since like 1999, pushed every wrong button an owner could push in sports. You force out the greatest basketball player of all time because – your idiotic GM wants to do it his way. I, and, and so I just don't see this. I, I don't see what Reinsdorf sees right now, unless it's just I want to own the team so my kids have something to do after I pass. Right. Well, definitely during um, that 98 season, the final dance or the last dance for the Bulls, you know, if you think about Reinsdorf, he was big on letting Jerry Krause kind of, you know, run the team, you know, when it comes to making trades, when it comes to getting players, 
he his job was just kind of really in the he was kind of in the back burner a little bit. Well, uh, when it comes to that, but it came back. I think I think giving up some of his control, it came back to bite him in the rear end when it comes to Reinsdorf. Well, and, and we talked about last week, we talked about a great team, a great ownership group, a great franchise in Miami with Mickey Harrison kind of letting Pat Wiley do his own thing. But at a certain point, you're spending your own money. This is your money at the end of the day yeah. that the NBA gives you hundreds of millions of dollars. But at a certain point, would you as an owner not step in and say, all right, you had your fine, like – this, this Bulls team is making me money hand over fist, and you want to you end the dynasty because you and Phil Jackson don't get along, and Scottie Pippen calls you a fat little man. Like, yeah. I, I, understand, I understand trusting Krause to an extent, but right. at a certain point, and he even did it the summer before when he stepped in, told Krause to go kick rocks, I'm going to get Phil signed. Why would you right. not just do it again? Right. Well, I guess these days when you're worth $2.2 billion, you kind of can make whatever decisions you want to make when it comes to when, do I want to keep doing what I'm doing when it comes to owning the White Sox, owning the, uh, owning the Bulls, or do I want to step down? So well, I'm just saying it sounds like as long as you're willing to keep writing the checks in these organizations, you're going to stay in power and stay in the position that you're in. But that's the thing. We talk about how he – he was so hands-off with the Bulls, and now he's the complete other direction with the White Sox. He's so hands-on and meddling that he screwed up what could have been a fun baseball team for the next five or six years, and he's completely screwed them up, and they're now going to be in a rebuild. Right, because I've been big on the White Sox in the past, just some young talent. Um, exactly. They had young you talent. Know, they traded all the way. Right. So who knows that, you know. 2005, like you said, being the last time that they won the World Series over the Houston Astros, and they had some pretty big names. World Series, right? And to be honest, we're looking at since the world since the World Series, we're only looking at three playoff appearances. We're looking at 2008, lost in the uh, division series. Um, 2020, um, lost in the wild card. That was a shortened season. Um, and all the games were played, and the wild cards were played at home. I mean, they were like one or two games or something. I think it's yeah. a three game series or something. Yeah, like wild cards were three game series. And then um, 2021 lost in the uh, division series. So, but one, they won 93 games in 2021. So, had a, had a big year and finished 500 last year. Um, and see that this I year, mean, but, that's the but this year, which we'll talk more about going forward, we're going to really break down kind of the early. Um, early quarter of the MLB uh, season, but you know, looking at eight and twenty-one this year, you know, it looks like, I mean, unless you go on a big run like the uh, like the A's did back in the day, you know, winning twenty games in a row, it looks like they're going to be in for a long rebuild type season. And that's the thing; they have the pieces to not have to do that, but they are forcing themselves into a corner to have to do that. But. That is sorry, all. real quick update. Harden ends up with 45. 45. Yeah, I just saw the and uh, Sixers. Philadelphia, won. Philadelphia steals one, uh, 119, 115 in the Boston Garden. What do you think about that, Rob? So, we'll actually start with that right now with uh, our NBA on our next segment of the NBA. Tonight's podcast presented by Jersey Mike Subs. 
I don't really have a reason for it. I just ate there earlier and it was actually pretty good. I have, I've been there literally like twice in my life. So, but Hey, if you want to sponsor it and give me free stuff, I'll eat there every night. I just remember the first time, um, I really liked Jersey Mike's was when my dad brought me home a Mike Miller Jersey. Cause they were doing a Mike Miller promo at Jersey Mike's back in the day. So I used to, I used to rock this Mike Miller Jersey with the Jersey Mike's logo underneath the number. So that's back you, when uh, you were just getting out in front of the branding thing that all the NBA teams do now. Right. They were killing it back in the day. And Jersey Mike still, I think, still kind of the goat when it comes to, um, you know, fast food subs. So we will start there with Boston and Philly tonight. Obviously, we see James Harden just absolutely go off in the absence of Joel Embiid, who doesn't play tonight. Um, you know, Al, do you think this changes Doc Rivers' strategy? Going forward, I mean, you've now you've stolen game one. What does it right. matter if you come out and get beat by 60 game two? You've now taken home court advantage in this series. And so would you be even more cautious with MB thinking, hey, we've stolen this now. Let's get him completely healthy, get us back to Philadelphia for game three, and let's see if we can just win all our home games and we're in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, I'm looking right now. So – I'm looking right now at when when that game two and game three is. So game, sorry, yeah, game two is going to be Wednesday night, 76ers and Boston. And then game three, game three is going to be Friday. So I think if today's today's obviously Monday. I think if you can give Embiid an extra two nights to rest. I think you rest him one more night I because, agree. because I agree. to be honest, to be honest, it's kind of one of those things like, you know, just as a coach, you have a team tonight that played so well, even without him. And look, you're not saying that you wouldn't want to insert him in the lineup. He, Embiid is your best, you know, your best player um, and the player that can make one of the biggest impacts on your team. Absolutely. But right now, but right now, it looks like you have a hot team that is, you know, peaking and uh, moving in the right direction. You have James Harden that just went off for 45. You have one of your favorite players, Tyrese Maxey. I do. And, uh, and then even Tobias Harris making some big shots. You might just roll with this lineup in game two and see if you can't steal another one. Well, and that's what I was going to bring up. I mean, look, James Harden, this is the thing he can do. He can take over a playoff series. We've seen him do it before, back when he was in Houston, and he would just drag them across the finish line sometimes. So I, there is no doubt James Harden can take over a series, as he just did tonight. But what we saw tonight was great plays from Maxi, great plays from Tobias Harris, who looks like he's finally playing up to his potential uh, there in Philadelphia you know, amazing what happens when teams get rid of Ben Simmons. They just magically become better. <laughs> but I think that's a team. Ben, ben Simmons jump shot podcast coming soon. It's, it won't ever come. I don't think that kid's ever going to get a jump. It's more broken than Markel Fultz jump shot when he got in the league. And I'm pretty sure he was like, he could have shot it underhanded and had a better percentage. And Markel, I will say he's come back and had a pretty solid career. Yes, he has. Very, very happy to see that, honestly. But, you know, back to Philadelphia, and I just – there's there's a lot to like about that Philadelphia team. There really is. Obviously, Doc 
being Doc, and I've said for a long time, I think he's one of the five best coaches in the league. And I just think he knows how to get teams where they need to be. He knows how to put his players in the best position to win. And I think it showed tonight where he just said, all right, look, scrap what we've been doing, get the ball to James Harden and let him go to work. Yeah, so um, James Harden tonight played 39 minutes, uh, 17 for 30 from the field, 7 of 14 from the three-point line, plus 8 in the plus-minus. But your biggest plus-minus coming tonight comes with uh, Tyrese Maxey, plus 12, had 26. And, so, and then fouls, I think, like the last five minutes of the game. That's right. And then DeAnthony Melton, a former Grizzlies player, comes in five of six from the three-point line and has 17. Which is and, – and you and I talk about it all the time. It's, it's not – and we talked about it last series with a lot of these things, especially the Memphis-LA series. It's not what your starters can do. It's what guys on your bench can do. And so That's if you've right. got a guy like uh, Melton that comes in and it's five or six, like, man, that's that's 17 points we didn't think we were going to have somewhere. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just – it's one of those things. And you look at Boston. I, I don't think Boston's out of this series. I don't. Jason Tatum's no. a good player. Uh, Jay, I thought Jalen Brown played really good tonight. I thought Brogdon played really good tonight. But yeah, Jalen Brown, he shot 80% from the field. Um, I just think one thing, they've got to get Marcus Smart going. You know, Marcus Smart's always going to be your defensive spark plug out there, but they just need to get him going offensively right now. Right, and then, what I'm, and then what I'm looking at, obviously, so Brogdon, Brogdon had a huge day for them with 20 off the bench. Which you know, it's funny we were talking about this the other day. You all, that's one player you forget that the uh, Celtics have, Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah, because uh, most people, I think, if you ask, they still think he's playing in Milwaukee. That's right. And then Pritchard didn't play, but I'm looking at Al Hortford minus 17, Derek White minus 15. So you got to get a little bit more. You got to get more production. You got to get more production there. You got to. Uh, Al Hortford only had 11. Derek White only had four. Yeah, you can't have that from Derek White. And, and yeah. you know, he's one of those guys from them that just has to get going out of that second group for them. But again, I don't think all hopes lost for Boston. I do no, think no. they're in a massive coaching disadvantage here when you've got Doc Rivers on one sideline who's been to multiple finals. And then you've got Joe Missoula who has never been in the big chair before in the playoffs. So, right. I think the, I, think the I agree with there. I think I the think, alarm is there if you're Boston, but I don't think it's any. I don't think that alarm is any louder now than it was to start the series. I think you always knew Philadelphia's a dangerous basketball team. Absolutely, and then obviously not count out Missoula because he's had an unbelievable year. But if you're just if you're just banking on, I mean, just the facts are the facts when you're banking on experience. Uh, Doc Rivers with Philly, more experience. Tom Thibodeau with uh, the Knicks, more experience. And then, obviously, we talked about last week, Eric Spolstra, with all the experience he has, you know, they, he Missoula's up against three really good coaches in the East to try to make it to the NBA Finals. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and you know, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but I really think the West is kind of – it's almost the polar opposite, whereas you have – where you have Steve Kerr, the just stalwart coach. And then I think you got Monty Williams, who's made a finals appearance. But right, the other two, right. Malone and Darvin Ham, yeah. 
I don't think – I think Malone's been to one conference finals. Darvin Ham, this is his first year. So, you go from one, one side where you have a bunch of coaches with a lot of experience to the other where you have a bunch of coaches with no experience. I like this uh, Utah – or, sorry, this uh, Denver Nuggets team, though. I like I, – I, I, think, I, think, I think Mike Malone has a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, kind of like just what you just said when it comes to who's had lots of, ex, who's had lots of experience – Who's been at a uh, who's been in an organization for a pretty long time, who's had some success, but still is waiting for that, waiting for waiting for that breakthrough moment. Well, and I I think I think Mike Malone is a lot like Mike Budenholzer in the way that you know he's got this star player and they just can't get over the hump, can't get over the hump, can't get over the hump, and you know one day you're going to get over that hump. And yep. I, I you know they may right now be the favorite in the Western Conference. With yeah. the way Jamal, and this is one point I wanted to hit, the way Jamal Murray is playing right now, I mean, this was the team before he went out two years ago where everybody said they are playing more dangerous than anybody. And so yeah. looking like he's finally back healthy again, I mean, if they win tonight, I, I really believe they can kind of take a chokehold on this series against Phoenix. Right, for sure. I mean, I think – I think if uh, they win tonight, you're looking at a potential five-game uh, victory, five-game winning the series in five. Maybe, maybe going for the sweep. I don't think the sweep is. I think I think the Suns would get one at their place in Phoenix. But you're looking at if you can win tonight, you're looking at uh, the Nuggets being a heavy favorite to make it to the Western Conference Finals. I 100% agree. And, and you know, it's crazy. You know, it's crazy. You could have, you could have Denver sitting in the, sitting in the, uh, kind of sitting in the hot seat and the captain's chair when it comes to making the uh, Western Conference finals. And then you have the, the Lakers and the Warriors who haven't even played a game yet. Correct. That's, that's the crazy thing is that, you know, there is a chance tonight Denver's going to be at 2 nothing. And the Lakers and the and the Warriors have not tipped off game one yet. I know that's just crazy. And I think and then, that starts to put you and and the the scary thing is with those teams, you know, Steph's not as young as he used to be. Right. Clay's not as they have some playoff miles and injuries on their body. LeBron and AD obviously have a bunch of playoff miles and injuries. Right. So, and that was a tough series. Say what you want. I mean, obviously, we all saw what happened. We'll talk more about what happened Friday night, but. Um, for what it's worth, I know the Grizzlies are undermanned big time, but I think I think that was still a rough series for the Lakers when it comes to just using a lot of your energy. Yeah, and, and I'll get on I want to get on that subject a little bit later. Uh, really the last point I want to hit with Denver and Phoenix is, you know, is this gonna be a series where KD just has to say, I'm I'm Kevin Durant, I'm one of the best 10 players in the NBA. I'm going to take this over and everybody get out of the way. Because I, I really think they're almost at that point. Because I just – I'm not of the opinion that Booker can take over a series. Yeah. I, Paul is not at the age anymore where he can take over a series. I think it's got to be Kevin Durant saying, hop on, get ready, and if I come down the lane, get out of the way. I, I really think it's at that point right now. Well, I think when it comes to winning a championship – he was doing that with the Warriors. I mean, think about as good as the Warriors were, having all the talent they had, when they needed a big shot, who did even they go to? They went to well, KD. That, 
Yeah, absolutely. That's one thing I wanted to bring up. You know, we talk about series KD just took over. I go back to that 2017 finals where he just he straight up said, I'm not going to be denied a championship. You know, everybody just get out of my way. And yeah. I think I think he may have to go to that place again for them to get out of the series because right now, Jokic versus Aiden is about the most, you know, unfavorable matchup the Suns have, and they have a couple of them. As Aiden just literally misses. Sorry, I think uh, one more stat. I know we have a lot more to talk about, but I think one more stat we're forgetting to talk about, and we'll obviously talk about this when we go over our top ten players in the NBA in the current moments. But you're for you have you have Jokic go for 24 and then obviously Murray go for 34. That's I mean, that's a pretty unbelievable duo. And then Gordon, listen to this, listen to this. You have Aaron Gordon, nine of 13, plus 25 for 23 I think, points. I think he's the I kind of think he's one of those X factor guys we talk about. We label him like a maxi in Philadelphia or a um, even got like a Kevin Love in Miami since they don't have any healthy players left. Yeah. Um, and then Aiton, and then Aiton was minus 21 on the plus minus. Are you that I think that's a big matchup that people aren't talking about too when it comes to the Suns is just how can Aiton how can what is Aiton what does his one-on-one matchup look like with Jokic? Because obviously Jokic got the best of that on Saturday night. Well and you go back to last playoffs Aiton became unplayable in that Dallas series. Just straight up, they couldn't put him on the floor. This series, they'll obviously be able to do that a little bit more because Jokic is just out there. But I, I still think oh. they're at a massive disadvantage. <laughs> Did you see that move? I, I'm you're ahead of me, so I just oh yeah, that's right. I just well, thought Aiton a jump shot, and I'm well, and Aiton, Jokic has the ball, so I'm sure this is just going to be ridiculous. Just watch watch that little spin move. Oh, this this is unfair to do this to Aiden. It's unfair. That's yeah, okay, yeah. That was that was funny not- story. Funny story, real quick about uh, um, Jokic. Back to uh, you know Mike Miller. Mike Miller, you know, ended his career in Denver, right? I did not know that. I didn't know so, Mike ended his career. In Denver. Yeah, I think that was kind of maybe a kind of a legacy tour for Mike his last year, and I think that was. Just you know, having a lot of experience and veteran, you know, veteran type voices in your in your locker room. Yeah, but uh, I think that was the beginning where he realized maybe he could coach, own a team, and now start his agency, which he's having lots of lots of success in. But um, he was talking about when they when they drafted Jokic, when they drafted Nikola Jokic, a lot of people. He was kind of he he kind of shows up, you know how Jokic is, just with his um, just kind of the way that he Jokic is not going to wow you with as a physical yeah. specimen. Other yeah, than so so tall. he was the forty first pick. So he's the forty first pick in the twenty fourteen draft. He shows up, you know how he is, just kind of a little clumsy looking, maybe looking maybe a little bit out of shape. And Mike Miller, I think, was and was kind of like, wait, so this is this is who we this is who we wasted our draft pick on this guy, and uh, they said the first practice he was guarding Jokic, and within like twenty minutes, Jokic already has like twenty five points in the scrimmage, and they're like, oh, this is why y'all drafted this guy. <laughs> 
He's actually well, I, really good at basketball. <laughs> and I really think Jokic is probably one of the most overlooked players, which is scary to say about a two-time MVP, is that a guy that's overlooked. Because, you know, he doesn't exactly – number one, he plays in Denver. Number two, he doesn't play this real flashy game with a bunch of highlight dunks. I mean, he's he's a lot like Dirk in the way that he moves – Although Dirk yep. did it more with guard moves and Jokic does it more with post moves. But I mean, he's, but you look at his ball handling. The guy's 6'10, 6'11, and he out, he's out there looking better than some guards handling the ball. And then just his ability to step out. He, he's not going to shoot the three ball first, but when he's open, he can really knock that shot down. Which I think makes their offense just so dangerous because, you know, he's such a good passer there from up top as well. Yeah, you can't double-team them. You can't double-team them because they are going to find a Michael Porter Jr. They're going to find a Jamal Murray. Right now, even a Caldwell Pope. Like, they've got some yeah. – it's just funny to see – it's funny to see some of the pieces they have. Just thinking about, like, a Caldwell Pope or thinking about even a Michael Porter Jr. of just kind of the tough times he had in the past just with his back and getting back healthy. But it's just amazing just to see how their pieces have come together. Well, and even you look at a guy like an Aaron Gordon, who I think most people didn't see as more of a just novelty act for the fact that he could dunk it. And he gets here to um, Denver and just looks like – I mean, he looks like a great role player for them, a nice piece for them. And he's really embraced playing with them. Well, he's kind of the athletic piece that you need because right. Jamal Murray, can he sneak up on you and, you know, dunk on you? Yes, absolutely. But when you have just that gritty, athletic, um, obviously scoring 23 points the other night, but, uh, but uh, just having that guy that you can put on anybody. I was trying to – I know we're going to move on, but I was trying to – one possession – I was trying to see what matchup Gordon had right now on he's the got, he's got He's got Durant. That's right. That's what I thought. Just seeing if he was guarding KD. Yeah, because they're Look going. Look at Jokic just going off right now. But yeah, but that's. But I'm just saying to have a guy like Aaron Gordon, um, there. Yeah, you're right. Matched up on KD. That's a tough matchup for KD. Um, I know he has him with the with the length, but Aaron Gordon's strong, athletic, and can really stay in front of him. I mean, stay in front of stay in front of KD. Jokic, and if they ever switch off, which they just did there, and had a Kogi on him, that's almost that's borderline unfair. At least with you know, Aiton, he has to deal with the size, but it just. Sorry, I was just laughing at that whole possession right there. <laughs> that's that was a weird possession. That was just yeah. You had Devin Booker crazy. shoot at long, not even hit the rim. No, you had, I mean, you had uh, you had Aiton set a screen on nobody. He, he came closer to screening the guy that was dribbling the ball instead of screening a guy that was that was coming after uh, Paul. But we will move on here. And I, I spent a whole something like we could spend a whole uh, whole day just talking about the uh, the Nuggets and the Suns. Oh, I could talk about the Nuggets action and some of their offensive sets just uh, for days because I think they're just the way they run everything through the post is so old school, but they have a new school feel to it. It's funny, the more we do our podcast, Rob, this just leaves me into we have a we have a future podcast over Ben Simmons jump shot. And we have a full podcast over breaking down Jokic's offensive game. We can even break down his uh 
his uh world basketball highlights with uh with Serbia. <laughs> I'm I sure that, I'm sure our fans would love that. I, I tell you, it, it, folks, if you if you need if you have time to kill and you want to watch a player that just absolutely is probably one of the most one of the smartest offensive players in the world right now. Go watch just highlights of Nikola Jokic getting the ball at the top of the key and his ability to pass, go to the goal, or if he's open, shoot, because it is next level. Absolutely. He's one of my favorite players to watch in the NBA for sure. So moving on a little bit, we did touch on it. And I have some thoughts. on what Bro, I think I know it's where we're headed now. On what transpired Friday night at whatever they're calling the Staples Center now. Um, Crypto Center. It was one of the worst elimination game performances I've ever seen from the team. It was embarrassing if you're a Memphis Grizzlies fan to watch that team play Friday night. They didn't look like they had a clue what they were doing offensively. Our defensively, we couldn't guard anybody. We let D'Angelo Russell cook us. Which Adilo's a good player, but he's not 31 good in an eliminate in a in a go home game in the playoffs. But I look at kind of what's next for Memphis. And you and I talked about it today. We talked about it Friday and Saturday and a little bit yesterday as well. I don't think Dylan Brooks can be a part of this. I, I don't – I think that ship has sailed. I think you've got to move on, whether that be in a sign and trade or whether that be just outright release. Right. The Grizzlies need somebody in that spot, though. Now, the, the popular names are obviously going to be Mikhail Bridges or um, I've seen – see, I, I know Mikhail Bridges has been the biggest one I've seen. I've obviously – I've seen somebody talk about there's a Paul George rumor out there that he may want out of L.A. and the Clippers. That's going to take a lot for the Grizzlies to to swing, but I think they need to they need to look at the fact that they got a really interesting trade piece in Tyus Jones, who another one who just completely disappeared in these playoffs. I don't know what happened there. You could say that about three fourths of the team, to be honest. But and again, I'm not completely sold on Taylor Jenkins having this team going forward. I don't think the Grizzlies are going to move off Jenkins, but I think it's something that will be talked about, especially if the Grizzlies struggle in the playoffs next year. Yeah, so my big thoughts of what I really think about it is just that matchup between, um, you know, AD and Jaron at times. That Anthony Davis matchup really hurt us throughout the series. Um, Anthony Davis just as a player, I think. And then, obviously, we talked, you know, Rui Hachimura, Austin Reeves, we've talked all about it, that they really had some big games. But when, you, I, th- when, I, think about, when I think about a player that really hurt us, it was Anthony Davis. And the more I think that is because that little just two-man pick and roll at the top, there's so much attention on Anthony Davis that you allow a player like DeAnthony Russ or uh, D'Angelo Russell to just have those mid-range jumpers, have that ability to get to the rim. When he came out really firing in game six and making those shots, I knew that was going to be a tough person to, to really handle. And then you start bringing your attention to D'Angelo Russell. You have some lob plays for Davis to get a lot of easy baskets. 
Um, so I think, I think if we have Steven Adams healthy, I think that's a huge, I think that's just a huge player that we could have really used just size and physicality wise to really try to shut down Anthony Davis. So I think that's a big matchup that people aren't really, um, addressing that much. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Dylan Brooks going forward. And back to what you said about Coach Jenkins, I think you, I think you got to roll with Coach Jenkins for a while and just see what he can do over the next four, three or four years with this team. If we can maybe, you know, find some other pieces to the puzzle to see if we can find a group that really gels. Like you said, maybe that's picking up a guy in the in a in a trade or in a free agency. Or maybe, you know, you know, hitting a home run with the with the draft pick that we have coming up. But I think I think we got to give Coach Jenkins another chance just to, you know, have a healthy team and have maybe hopefully a more mature team mentally and more focused team next year come come the uh, NBA playoffs. I agree. And, and I so wonder, what are your thought what are your thoughts about that? Just I because I know where you're coming from too, but what are your thoughts just kind of on the Grizzlies, I know we laugh about this, but trust the process. Maybe next year. I think a year can do a lot for a team. Well, and here's here's the thing I did want to mention because it's, it's the biggest point that nobody seems to be talking about. Look, the Grizzlies are a completely different team without Steven Adams and Brandon Clark. Then yeah. you add the fact that Luke Kennard gets injured out game six. The Grizzlies didn't have much there. Yeah. I think something you said interesting about the draft. I, I wonder if the Grizzlies aren't sitting there thinking, you know, we got these picks, we got an expiring in Tyus. I, I don't really believe they have just all that much faith in Zaire Williams. Do you maybe try to move up in the draft to find a guy you like and replace Zaire with that guy? Replace Zaire Williams? Yeah, replace Zaire Williams. Because, you know, last year Zaire looked like a guy who really could be a rotation player for us and really had us comfortable thinking, hey, we might can move off Dylan and not miss a beat here. Yeah, I was trying to look up. Um, I did not have this written down, but I was trying to look up the future future draft picks for the Memphis Grizzlies. Do you have that one, by chance? Yeah, we got one this year in the first. I think we got two in the second, and we have two in the first next year because one of them is the Golden State pick. Okay. Um, yeah, so um, it looks like 2023 that we have three picks, right? Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. Yeah, we had the one first round and two seconds. Yeah, one first round, two seconds. And then it looks like we have two picks in 2024. Is that right? Yeah, we have two first rounds. And then and then three picks in 2025, three picks in 2026. I think you're right, yes. So who knows? I um obviously the big name, you know. It's going to be interesting just to see the draft this year. I know that's a couple months down the road, but, you know, the Grizzlies have to keep doing a great job in the draft and really trying to, you know, find, find somebody late, you know, late in the first round that can really make a huge impact on your roster. And there's people out there. There's guys out there that we can find. I agree. And I think there's – I think 
And look, this front office has done a good job drafting. I think the jury's probably still out on Moravia just because he was never healthy this year. But I thought yeah. David Roddy was a great pickup for the Grizzlies. I yeah, I, I like Roddy. I, I like Roddy's future. Um, but you're right. The big question marks are going to be Dylan Brooks. And the big question marks are going to be, you know, look, just being realistic. Basketball is a business. And definitely, definitely, it's, it, it, if you think it's a business in co- a high school, yeah, it's a business. If you think it's a business in college, it's definitely a business. If you think if you think it's in the a business in the NBA, oh, well, absolutely, it's a, it's a business. These guys, that's what they're getting paid to do. They're getting paid to put a ball through a hoop, and these coaches are getting paid to win. So, you know, everybody everybody can be can be removed from a team, and uh, everybody's fair game, even with contracts at stake. Everybody's fair game. There's a way to get players on your roster in any situation. Um, yeah, now of nobody's for certain on a on a team next season. You got to pretty much win. You got to you got to play for your your opportunities. Like this year, the Grizzlies are playing for their opportunities for next season. Um, that being said, it's going to be interesting to see if there is a potential move that takes place to fill a need, fill a position. Um, I still think the Grizzlies are missing just another another score. You know, I just I think we need another big body score that can really be that can really solidify that three spot for us. Yeah. Well, and then today everybody's freaking out because Jaron Jackson tweets Memphis. I'm forever grateful. I guess people think, you know, people rush to Twitter to think that means he's mad at the front office. And I'll be honest, if they told Jaron he played like crap in the playoffs, they weren't telling him a lie. Because after game one, we might as well not have had him on the floor. He just was not very good. I don't think the front office is moving off Jaron Jackson, though. No, I think defensively he made some big plays. Um, you know, we got to think, yeah. is youth still a factor for us? Absolutely. I mean, I think, look at the – what's the age difference between A.D. and Jaron? Uh, Anthony Davis is, what, 30? 31. What seven, seven or eight years difference between yeah, them? Yeah, I think that I think that's a big I mean that's a big difference between uh you know a 30, 30, 31 year old and a 22, 23 year old. But uh I think I think this is I think the all season for the Grizzlies. We talk about this, we talked about this even with the um with the Bulls back in the day. We were we were having a little bit of conversation um that the off season is crucial. Um we were talking about we were talking about this with Kyrie. We're talking about how Kyrie, his unknown with the teams that he's been on in the past, like who knows, like with the with the Nets. Remember all the talks with the Nets, like, you know, are they gonna keep are they gonna keep KD? Are they gonna keep Kyrie? That just ruins your whole offseason, I think. I think that ruins your whole offseason when it comes to coming in knowing what to expect on the front end for the next season. I'm just thinking about the Bulls. You knew you were getting Rodman back. You knew you're getting Steve Kerr in those last three years when they went on that run. You know you're getting Jordan. You know you're getting Pippen. You know that your core is coming back. You know that those guys in the offseason are balled into a mission and a vision. The Grizzlies got to keep that. The Grizzlies got to keep that core really with Ja, Bain, Jaron, and then obviously a Steven Adams, Brandon Clark. A Tyus Jones and hopefully a Luke Kennard and maybe 
stay. I don't know what Dylan does. Who knows what's going to happen? But but if he's going to be there, he's got to get bought into what does this look like next year. So I'm just saying, I think if you can keep guys together in the off season and have guys working out and training together. I think that's what you need to have on a team, you know, kind of like an old school. Yeah. I'm just saying that's what the Bulls did when they were successful. Those guys trained together, worked out together, and built a lot of camaraderie that way. Well, and I'm not saying this team hates each other or they're not. I think this team is one of the closest teams in the NBA, you know, just from a friendship standpoint, because it seems like they do hang out off the court. Which yeah, is, but, and they cheer for each other's success, which yeah. is cool to see. And so kind of moved past that because we could have about eight podcasts on that. Moving on to the Lakers, you know, obviously a big series win for them. But if you're Los Angeles, you kind of think now – I mean, I know their fan base is delusional, so they think this is going to happen for four straight series. But you can't honestly expect Rui Hachimura to play the way he did. Because he even he was even slowing down there at the end. He didn't have a good game four, didn't have a good game five, didn't really have a good game six. And so, I, I mean, can you expect Austin Reeves to have 25 a game? No. Can you expect, you know, Rui Hachimura to have 20? No. Can you expect D'Angelo Russell to go for 30-some games? No. I don't yeah. give this Lakers team a chance against Golden State. Now, could they? Yeah, LeBron could go back to old LeBron, and AD could play the way he did in three of the four Laker wins, but I don't see it happening personally. I think the Warriors are just – they're just – they have the experience. And when you see Steph Curry, like, I know these guys are pros and they're at a whole nother level, but, look, you can't, you can't watch – you can't watch game seven of Steph Curry scoring 50 and think, oh, gosh, like, oh, yay, we get to play him this week, you know, like – I think if you're the Lakers, you want to play you want to play the Kings. The Kings don't have that playoff experience yet. But the Warriors, the Warriors do. And if you're looking at a better team and you're looking at someone that can really cover Anthony Davis, you have Kevin Looney. Kevin Looney is going to be an X factor guarding Anthony Davis and you got guys that can stretch the floor everywhere. You got Poole who I think is going to come around and have a better series because um, he really showed off it last year against the Grizzlies. Think about some of the games he had against us, you know, um, hit some huge shots. Definitely in game one, game one in, in Memphis last year, Poole hit some huge shots. But I think, I think the, uh, the Warriors, to be honest, I'm going to pick the Warriors in, I might pick the Warriors in five games. I got them in six. I might I might go kind of bold here and say Warriors in five. I don't blame you, and I can see a world. I mean, I can see a world where it's Warriors in four. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think, think that's far-fetched to say Warriors in four. I think it's Warriors in six because I think L.A. is going to find the, a way to get game uh, three and game five and not yeah. – it'll, it'll end in, in Golden State. But, There's some interesting and, matchups there, which we'll we'll break down more um, probably after watching them play each other. Yeah. We'll start off tomorrow. So probably Thursday night, you'll hear us maybe have a little more breakdowns about kind of their matchups. But it's going to be interesting just to see how the Lakers and the Warriors match up with each other, just offensively, defensively. Like, who, who are the Lakers? Who are they going to put LeBron on? 
who and then who are the um, who are the Warriors going to put on like a D'Angelo Russell type player? Who are they going to put on Reeves? So they're you know who knows who know if if, if Rui Hachimura goes unconscious for a game, have a shot. who knows they're going to have a they're going to have a chance to win too. But I think I'm I'm going pretty bold. I'm going bold and I'm going uh, Warriors in five. Yeah, and so. Moving on a little bit now, we'll get to the last series we're going to talk about, and that's the most interesting team in the NBA right now, and it's the Miami Heat, the way they <laughs> You know, We, we, we love keep, talking about the Heat, don't we? Well, hey, look, if this is a Heat podcast, Pat Riley, you want to come on and tell us how you do all this, I will be happy to have you. But I, we'll, have, I think we'll, have, we'll have a little hour segment. We'll have 30 minutes with uh, Pat Riley and then 30 minutes Q&A with uh, Eric Spolstra. I'd love yeah, we'll to draw. I'd, we'll love, have 30 minutes I'd love to see Absolutely. his whole binder on his offensive sets that he that he runs this year. Al, you said thirty minutes, not thirty hours. Remember, <laughs> I'm but, sure right now. I'm sure right now his uh, his playbook is a hundred pages of uh, Jimmy Butler. <laughs> Jimmy Butler left. Jimmy Butler right. And when they really want to get tricky, Jimmy Butler middle. That's what I was about to say. They come into the huddle and they're saying, Coach Spolstra, this is basketball, not football. And he says, whatever, it's Jimmy Butler right, Jimmy Butler left, and Jimmy Butler middle. <laughs> but so you go off yesterday, and, the and you know, Jimmy gets injured at one point in that ballgame. I don't know that he ever came back in, but I'm not 100% sure. But anyways, I, the one thing I wanted to talk about is, is, you know, we talk all the time in college athletics about, oh, they're peaking at the perfect time. They're peaking, you know – just as the, the NCAA tournament starts or just as conference tournament starts. Or is it time to say the Heat might be peaking at the perfect time? I mean, let's look at yesterday. Jimmy Butler has a bad game for Jimmy Butler where he only has 25. Yeah. Gabe Vincent. Gabe Vincent, 20. Kyle Lowry off the bench, 18. Bam gives you 16. Struss gives you eight. Kate. Kevin Love gives you nine. Like, you were able to get these points from just everyone where Jimmy Butler didn't have to go have 50, which he can do, by the way. Yeah, I was looking at – um. so Miami's last – Miami's – so listen to this. This is kind of crazy. So Miami's last – Miami's last eight games leading into just back to your question, is a team getting hot? Miami's last eight games of the year for them, they were four and four. They're 500. But they, but of those, of those eight games for the last, for the last um, five, they're four and one. So they came in winning four out of their last five. Um, had lost and, three in a row previously. And they sandbagged the first play-in game, so they didn't have to play Boston. That's right. That's right. Well, that leads them into, you know, getting that eight seed and just – I don't know. I don't know what came out of what came out of them, but they have been – they've been on fire. I'm telling you, it's, it's just leading me to believe more and more each day they wanted that eight seed because they didn't want to play Boston or Philadelphia. Yeah, they're in a perfect – they're in a perfect matchup right now. I mean, I agree. I agree. To, to be in the Eastern Conference Finals playing the Knicks. No, look, the Knicks are an incredible team. 
and I could see them winning game two, depending on we need Butler healthy. Um, obviously, I'm really kind of I'm I'm kind of really rooting for this Miami team. I just I really like Eric Spolstra. I, I, I came to that decision yesterday. I really like Eric Spolstra. Yeah, um, Jimmy Butler. I just love his demeanor. I think I think if you're the Grizzlies, I know this is totally off subject, but I think if you're the Grizzlies and you're a superstar player. I think you need to really be watching how Jimmy Butler handles success. I mean, I think it's pretty unbelievable just how humble he handles success and how he's just a true professional. Well, and Jimmy Butler just plays, man. He plays till his body literally can't go any longer. I mean, it went, once he gets in the playoffs, obviously yeah. the regular season is a different story, but you just have watched him. I mean, watching three years ago in the bubble, he literally is cramping up in game five of the NBA finals, just trying to drag the heat into game six. Yeah. And just you kind of have that big four. If you have that big four rolling, like if you're getting if you're getting 25 from Butler, 16 from Bam out of bio, 20 from Gabe Vincent, and then you're getting 18 from Kyle Lowry off the bench and six assists, like the heat are gonna be tough to beat. I know we keep bringing them up, but if we can get a dunk, if they can get a Duncan Robinson healthy. If they can keep or not healthy um, back um, um, back playing better, um, and then obviously a Max Struss, and they can keep him making shots. The 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 the, the Heat are going to be they're going to I think they're going to pull out this series against the Knicks because they are they obviously they have home court advantage right now with stealing one in New York, having three more games to potentially play at home. Yeah, so. Another thing I want I, – I put on the rundown tonight. I don't know if you saw it, but is this the R.J. Barrett Legacy Series? We've heard all season how this is going to be R.J. Barrett's year. This is his year to take over the Knicks and there be his team. And he has 26 in game one. He plays really yeah. good minus nine because he's one of five from three. He's 10 of 20 from the field. So, yeah, you had 26 points, but it took you 20 shots to get there. Right. And then Brunson, obviously, 0 for 7 from three-point line. you got to make more shots from the three-point line, not picking on Jalen because he's an incredible player. But just looking at your stats, he knows that, just being a pro. He knows that, you know, um, they play tomorrow night, right? Uh, yeah, game two yeah, is tomorrow he, night in, in uh, MSG or Chase yeah, or whatever they're calling it. Yeah. Uh, uh, sorry, I was trying to look. Yeah, tomorrow night, 6.30 TNT. Jay, I'm just saying, when Jalen enters the, the garden, he knows I'm going to have to hit three or four threes in this game to really overcome, you know, a seven, eight-point deficit that they had the other night. Yeah, I mean, your best when you, when you look at the stat and say, oh, our best two players were 21 of 46, they're like, man, that's pretty good. Then you say, yeah, but they were one of 12 from three combined. You're like, okay, that's not very good. Seven of thirty-four for the for the game, for the and that's team. the difference. That's four the up, difference. Four up more Obi Toppin because there ain't no stopping Obi Toppin. Yeah, and to be honest, so listen to this. So you're seven of thirty-four from you're seven of thirty-four from the three-point line. They actually get one more shot than the Heat. They have eighty-six shots. The Heat have eighty-five. They made five more baskets. They made the 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 Knicks made five more baskets than the Heat, but the Heat hit six more threes. So yeah, there's I, there's I'll, a different there's I'll the difference of the game that. right there. The Knicks had the Knicks were twelve or twenty from the free throw line. 
the Heat were 23 of 29. They made yeah. more than the, yeah. than the Knicks attempted. That's right. And then you're looking at we talked about third quarters with the Grizzlies. Look at the third. Look at the look at the third quarters Miami's had in these playoffs. I mean, they have been the best. They have been by far. The Miami Heat have by far been the best second half team in these NBA playoffs. Well, do you think that goes back to experience coaching and knowing, hey, this is how I got to have a team ready to come out in the, from the locker room in the playoffs? I think so, and He's I think having who's been there so many times, and then you have a quiet confidence out at Jimmy Butler. You have a guy in the huddle saying, "Coach, give me the ball. I'm gonna go win you the game." And Spolstra is like, "All right, let's go do it. Let's go win the game." Yeah. Um, I just think I think you got a team really gelling and playing with lots of confidence. Absolutely, and you think, and I think Spolstra like you just see him coaching and making adjustments like. He's all he's trying to do is put guys empower his players, put guys in the right position to make the play. If you make the play, great. If not, keep playing. You know, so we're not we're not going to rip you out and not play you for fifteen minutes if you miss a shot. Absolutely, absolutely. Like we obviously, Duncan Robinson has had his struggles, but he was making a lot of shots early in his career. I still think he's an unbelievable shooter. I'm big. I, I really like Duncan and respect his story. But I'm just saying, he's not having the best series. He's 0 for 5, plays 13 minutes. But Spolstra is still putting him in the game. You know what I mean? Because if that 0 for 5 turns to 2 for 5, that can be the difference in the ballgame. That can be the difference in the series. Yeah, so it's amazing how he's still, regardless of their stats, regardless of their plus minus, Spolstra has a plan that he's committing to every game. And he's really putting those players in a position to say, all right, you know you're going to get your 14, 15 minutes. You know you're going to get five or six shots. you got to be ready to make those shots when they count. Absolutely. Um, so the Heat – I'm not going to say the Heat are sitting pretty just being up 1-0, but they're in a big position to have a lot of, you know, a lot of confidence and, you know, be, be sitting in the captain's chair to uh, win that series, even, even after the first game. Just knowing you have three games at home, that's that's got to be a lot of confidence that you can go into game two with. Absolutely. And so now we will move on to a little bit of baseball as the first uh, month of the season has now passed. And what we will talk about there is we're <laughs> going to talk about the Oakland Athletics and how they may quite possibly be on pace to be the worst baseball team of all time. So, you know, I, I want to talk about this Oakland team. And I had to sneeze. Sorry, folks. Uh, they, you don't know where to start, Rob. <laughs> I mean, to start, they need to move the team out of Oakland because that stadium's an absolute embarrassment. A, a bad Mississippi State bat baseball team is drawing like 13-5 to the dude every every SEC game. The Oakland Athletics are drawing like 11 to the Oco Coliseum. Granted, I don't – how they found 11,000 people to go watch this team, I have absolutely no clue. But it's still a major league baseball team, and you can't get 12,000 fans there. On top of that, the, I like I like I like the old uh, um, stadium. I think it has lots of character. 
yeah, well, it needs to go. So, I, I mean, you look at that, and then you look at the fact that any player of value or substance Oakland has had for the last three years, they've traded. Now, that's been really good for me because I'm a Braves fan, and they just trade all their good players to us. We love it. I mean, they've now traded us Matt Olson and Sean Murphy. But I, I look at this team, and I'm just like, what? This isn't even money ball that, anymore. This is like major league where we're trying to be so bad to move the team. I, I mean, it's just – and granted, they got a guy I know really well, Brent Rooker, had That's, the career of his – had the month of his career. And I'm just sitting there like, well, he's good now. When's Oakland going to trade him? They can't have yeah. good players on their team. To be honest, I'm looking at their roster. Carlos Perez, Carlos Perez, Tony Kemp. And Brent Rooker, those are kind of the only guys that I really see that um, are familiar names to me um, on their entire roster. Um, Love Lady, Richard Love Lady, that name sounds familiar. But uh, looking at their schedule, I mean, obviously they're the last in the NL or sorry, AL West. But they've gotten beat. Listen, to, I'm just saying, look at some of their scores in their games right now. Oh, it's bad. 13-1, uh, thir- um, 11 nothing. Back-to-back 11 nothing games at, in Tampa Bay. Um, 17-6 to the Mets. 10-1 to the Chicago Cubs. 12-2 to the Chicago Cubs. Recently just got beat um, April 22nd. They got beat in Texas 18-3. Um, 18 or 11-3 to in, in Los Angeles to the Angels. They actually won last night uh, against Cincinnati. Um, so the A's are about to get on that 20-game win streak like they did in 2002. Um, yeah, okay. But just but just look but just looking um who's their manager right now? Man, I don't even know. They're 6 and 23. They're so bad. I'm looking at their manager. Um, oh, Mark Kotze. Okay, and he yeah. became their manager last year, and their owner. It's still the same guy who owns the team. He's owned it forever. Yeah. So we're going. I'm just looking at their team. Uh, Steve, owners. Steve, yeah, Steve Shot. Steven Shot. Okay. Yeah. He's owned them forever. Yeah. That's right. But, you know, Billy is not their GM anymore. That's what I was going to look for. He, he, did, he, he, did, he get, did he go away in, what, 2016? Yeah, I forgot really why he went away. There was some talk that he was going to soccer for a minute, but I, I, don't, think, um, I don't think that's correct anymore. I think he went somewhere. He was the general manager till 2015. Yeah, I knew Billy was with him for a long time. And yeah. But uh, obviously that's a whole story we could talk about in the future as well. But the A's look like they need some pieces. And But I've, I've, heard, I've heard a potential move in the future maybe to, you know. To Las Vegas. And to I going, think going to I, Vegas. I think that's the only thing that can save them at this point. I, and, and maybe that's what they want. Maybe the owner – is just trying to get him so bad, move him to Vegas so that then he, he can sell the team. Yeah. But I mean, 
I mean, Vegas, Vegas is definitely going to be a hot spot, you know, in the future. You could have potential, you know, MLB, you got the Raiders there, and then you're, you're probably going to get an expansion type. You're going to get an expansion NBA team. I mean, that's, yeah, that's so, so, I mean, that has been talked about now for, for years. So we know that's coming down the line as well. Vegas could be a huge market for these, for these teams. I agree. 100%. I think, I think if you have a, if you have a superstar like a Mike Trout or an Otani in the future, and you're looking at a potential or even a Bryce Harper, maybe a Bryce Harper coming back home to Vegas. Yeah. That's an interesting so, point. Um, so, I'm just saying, if the A's ended up in Vegas, it's a lot more appealing to a superstar than going to Oakland. But say what you want, you have you have uh, back to the old Oracle Arena. You have some pretty good superstars in Oakland with the with the Golden State Warriors. Well, they used to be in Oakland. Now they're in San Francisco. Right. Right. So we turn from the team that's six and twenty-three to the team that's twenty-three and six the Tampa Bay Rays, and again, you know, we keep talking about how these great ownership groups, these great general managers, and Tampa is another place that they've just had a run of just amazing, amazing GMs, even though their owners will not give them $10 to renovate that absolute just embarrassment to sports that is the it is the trop at the moment. Yeah. But now Peter Bendix there is their GM. He's just, I mean, this is just a great, great team he's built once again. You know, this is, you've had Kyle Bloom is with the Red Sox. He was with them at one point. Yeah. So I, I think they have just learned. I mean, they really, in a way, are the new money ball. They're the new, they're the new guys finding these players when their rookies are on these expiring deals and they're just putting great rosters together. Yeah, and they've already been this year. Yeah, they've already looked. So in in 20 so they're 23 and 6, right, Rob? Yeah. In 20 think, think about this. In 29 games, they've already hit 61 home runs. 29 games they've already hit 69 home runs and then obviously I remember watching this kid um only 20 – or he, so he's a little bit older than I thought, but Randy Arizona. Randy Arozarena. Yeah, he's – Yeah, I mean, that kid that kid is really hitting the ball. He's fun to watch. He's probably one of my – I mean, obviously, I don't really have a favorite MLB player right now. I just – I kind of enjoy just, you know, I haven't really been into the MLB regular season as much as I need to be. But when I've seen the race play, this is a name that's really kind yeah, of – Yeah, I mean, it, it's pop, the pop highlights of Randy and Rosarena hitting the back of the trial. Yeah, and then pretty interesting, though, that the Pirates are having a lot of success. I'm just looking about – we're talking about the the Rays. I'm looking at their schedule right now. Yeah, um, those Pittsburgh Pirates, baby. Here the Pirates are coming alive. Leave the Jolly Roger. They've only lost – so they've only lost two series all year. They lost two to Toronto back in mid-April. Um, and then they lost two to the defending World Series champs. Um, last week they lost um, to Houston at home, 5-0-1-0. Yeah, but man. then came back to beat, beat the White Sox uh, three games out of four. 
it's interesting you talk about this, you know, the Pittsburgh series coming up. I think if you would have told people back in uh, back in February and March that, hey, the, the series between Tampa Bay and Pittsburgh is going to be a combined 43 and 12, you're probably sitting there saying, dang, Tampa Bay must be undefeated then. Let's look at the uh, let's look at how much tickets are going for in that series. I feel I bet I could get tickets five forty tomorrow night at the Trop. I bet I could sit really low for like. Let's see, I can sit uh, outfield tickets uh, one forty for twenty one dollars. I can sit uh, one thirty, which is in the infield. I can sit there for twenty nine dollars. I'm looking up uh, Ticketmaster right now, just. We might be. I might. To be honest, are you thinking a live podcast in Tampa I'm Bay thinking a live in, in midsummer? The trop is in our future. Do we can sit baseline box for forty dollars? Tampa Bay Rays. Let's look up. So tomorrow night they're playing at six forty at home against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um. We're getting some. We can get some twenty dollar tickets in section one forty. And oh, watch I know. The, uh, the, here watch the best. We can watch the best team in baseball right now, Rob. I, look now, don't tempt me with a time to go to good old Tampa Bay. We see our good friend Tom while we're there. I, I mean, I think he'd love to see us. <laughs> Does Gronk still live there? No, I don't think Gronk's there anymore. Gronk doesn't live there. Well, we could have a. We could have a. We could have a whole podcast on the. Uh, what was that? The twenty twenty. Uh, was that twenty twenty one? Um, Super Bowl champs. Yeah, absolutely. We can eat avocado ice cream and go to the Tampa Bay game with Tom Brady. <laughs> well, so, you just, Rob, you, Rob, you gotta, you gotta um, get that interview when you go to the Kentucky Derby this weekend. Oh yeah, yeah. That's that's a very real possibility right there. Not at all, folks. <laughs> so moving on a little bit, uh, talking about we're kind of on baseball. I, I've watched now. I'm obviously a Braves fan and, and have been for a long time, but I really believe this Braves lineup is just – it's otherworldly right now. You've got Ronald Acuna, who any other team would not lead off. He leads off and he may be a 40-40 guy, 40 homers, 40 steals on the year. He's already off to a really, really good start. I'll have to look those stats up as Al had me looking up Tampa Bay Rays tickets for tomorrow so i love um, it so that's the type that's the type of stuff i think about rob but you look at this atlanta lineup whether it be ronald acuna jr whether it be ozzy alvis who's not having a great year whether it be austin riley whether it be matt olson whether it be sean murphy you just keep going and there's no way this braves lineup doesn't eventually just kill you the braves night i think they're 19 and 10 on the year now yeah, nineteen and ten, leading the uh, they're leading the NL East. They're three leading games ahead of three games ahead of New York and Miami. Yeah. So, and you look at the stats for the Braves right now. Acuna three sixty three average on the year. He's got thirteen stolen bases. He's got five homers. So, and they have a they just they have a plus forty two run differential. That's I mean that's pretty high. They're, um, they're just killing people right now. They really are. And you look at, I mean, and you look at here. Here it is. Austin Riley, 242, 241, not having a great year. Matt Olson, 245. Ozzie Albies, 243. That's well below their average. 
But then you got a guy like Sean Murphy, a former Oakland A, hitting 282 in the year with seven with yeah. eight homers already. So yeah. it's just Ronald I mean, Acuna, you know, well, Ronald Acuna leading their average at two or 363. 363 leads him in hits with 41 hits. He is OBP yeah. of 450. And it, it's crazy though to think that the the Braves are 19 and 10, almost already played 30 games. That's a lot of base. That's like a full almost college season if you think about right. it. I mean, you're hitting but, any but, but this you're thinking about how early it is in the MLB season still. Correct. We're we're what a month. We talk about we're a month in. Yeah, that's it. It's just it's incredible to look at it and, and say, you know, it's with the Braves, especially. I just don't think there's any way you go through this lineup one time. It, to compare it to a college lineup for people, it's like the LSU lineup in college baseball. With There's no way you go through it without getting damaged, and it shows up time and time again with this team. When did Dansby Swanson get moved to Chicago? That was this offseason. The Braves didn't Without- resign him, and uh, he signed with the Cubs in the offseason. Okay, so the Braves, the Braves, they have Grisham in his place. Yeah, Mar- uh, Vaughn Grissom. Yeah, Vaughn the- Grissom. Okay, Vaughn Grissom. Yeah. So, what do you think about that? What do you think about that Dansby Swanson getting rid of him? I, I mean, I, there was a certain number that we couldn't pay Dansby what he wanted. I, I yeah. wish we would have looked a little bit harder in the free agency pool to go try to maybe find somebody. Yeah. But rolling with Grissom will will be okay. We it's not going to kill us in the long run. Yeah. We'll be fine. I. Th- um, well, one thing I wanted to really touch on with baseball, because when I, when I saw when we were talking about, you know, planning this show over the weekend and kind of getting our, our facts and kind of our slate ready of just what we wanted to talk about, obviously we know that we really want to hit some baseball because it's really getting into the, the heart of the season. And obviously, you know, baseball being just kind of like, like we say, America's favorite pastime. I think people really need to get into baseball more because it's just a great sport and a great game and a great American game. But uh, when I think about the MLB, I do think about just how interesting it is how these teams get built and how these teams get developed over time. And the reason that I was thinking about this was because I was wondering about Dan's when we talk, when we were talking about the Braves, I was wondering about Dansby Swanson because if you think about just his, was he the number one pick out of out of uh, Vanderbilt? Yeah, he was one one. Was he one one? Okay, yeah. But if you think about just the MLB, when you draft these guys, it's just interesting. You don't know their timetable of when you're actually going to get them on your MLB roster. You know what I mean, Rob? Like, I'm just saying, like when you draft LeBron James, you know, in the first game of your season. In the twenty in the twenty uh, two thousand four season, you know LeBron is your starting point guard or or shooting guard or power uh, small forward, wherever you wanted to play him in that season, you could put him anywhere. I'm just saying, baseball to me has always been interesting because the guys that you draft, even if you draft the number one player, you don't know when he's going to be on your roster in the MLB. You know what I mean? You kind of see where I'm going with that. Yeah, I think it's. I think what you're trying to get, if I if I'm reading it correctly, is that you're just looking. It, it's 
the MLB is so much about more about uh, you know developing talent as yeah as, as with the MLB of the NBA and the NFL, it's acquiring talent. It, yeah, it's, it's more. I think you're you have to be way more. I, I guess you have to be way better at development than in any other than in the MLB than you do in any other league. Yeah, so if you think about, like, the, the Rays being so good now, to be honest, they probably began this process maybe six, seven years ago to be in the position they are now. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, but I think back to Dansby Swanson, he was one of the fastest players to go from being drafted to then playing and starting at MLB, at, MLB, at, at shortstop in the MLB. Yeah, and again – that's that's in the modern times. Obviously, back in you know the the late the eighties and the nineties. I mean, Ben McDonald spent one month in minor league, and he was yeah. he was starting for the Orioles. He was one one I think in eighty nine. John McDonald from LSU, right? Yeah, you know, Ben McDonald. Yeah, yeah. went from LSU. I think he yeah. was he graduated from LSU, won the Golden Spikes in eighty nine. He was starting in September of eighty nine with the Orioles. Yeah, yeah. So just just an interesting thing I was thinking about, you know, just yeah, that these teams, just just that, just that baseball is a true putting together a roster type yeah. type um, type profession, you know. Absolutely. So now we move on to what's become one of our favorite segments, our top twenty-five preview of the week, and this week we look at the Alabama Crimson Tide. Oh, Nelly, Alabama. As, as old Keith Jackson used to call him. Uh, and obviously a, a lot of news coming out of Tuscaloosa this weekend with the arrival of the new transfer quarterback. Uh, Tyler Buckner. Tyler Buckner, you know, I think that tells you all you need to know about Alabama's quarterback situation. And Saban, you know, everybody kind of said, well, he's losing his touch. And it just really right now doesn't look like Saban – He's going to continually turn over every rock to try to give him his team the best advantage. Yeah. What do you what do you think about Tyler Buckner coming in? Do you think that's a big move for them? I think it's a big move in the sense that he's going to be way more comfortable in Tommy Reese's offense. And I and look, we've seen Bama teams that have had less talented quarterbacks win a national championship. Jake Coker's probably selling insurance somewhere, but he's a national champion. And so, you know, if you put the right players around a quarterback at Alabama, you can win a national championship. Yeah. So do you think – so you think that um, – you think that Saban is away from Jalen Milrow. You think I Saban think is away from um, a uh, Ty Simpson. So you I think – I don't know that he's so much necessarily away from Ty Simpson as he just doesn't know if he's ready yet. I, right. I think Ty Simpson. Or Cade Carruth. Yeah, well, I think Carruth's a fresh, true freshman, isn't he? Yeah, sophomore. Yeah, so I, I still think he wants Tyler or uh, Ty Simpson to be that guy. I just don't know that he thinks he's ready right now. So, if, obviously, if you can go get a guy like Tyler Buckner, you can go do that. Yeah, and what year will Buckner be? Will he be a junior? I believe he'll be a junior, so he would have yeah. technically have two years to play. Yeah, and I didn't realize just Buckner um, coming out of high school. I think he was a five star. Yeah, five star recruits, five star recruits, um, and 
He came out of San Diego, California. I thought he was a California kid. Yeah, California kid. So, um, second straight California kid to be the starting quarterback for Alabama. Bryce Young was a uh, was out of California as well. But this will be the think about this. Obviously, um, you make a great point with Jake Coker. Um, that will be the first time that Saban's really had a big time transfer quarterback come in and potentially play big, big, big downs for, for Alabama. Well, I mean, you, you can go back. Blake Sims was a transfer and Coker was a transfer as well. That's what I was saying. Coker transferred was, from. Or was Blake a transfer? I don't know that Blake was a yeah, transfer. That's what I was. Blake was not a transfer. He just that's waited. Right. He, he just waited his turn. Coker remember? was a transfer because he tra- he lost the job to Jameis, and so then he at transferred. State. And everybody just thought he was going to get the job at Alabama, and of course, then Blake Sims beats Blake him, Sims. and yeah. then he gets it the next year and wins a national championship. Yeah. So, just interesting though to think that I'm just saying you haven't seen this done by Saban in a while. No, if you want, if you if you want to, if you want to, but then again, if you want to think about a guy who is maybe one of the first to really win a title and really get in a big time transfer quarterback, it was Nick Saban. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think you're probably right. And, and again, I think it goes to show you that you know everybody sits here and says Saban's kind of lost his touch. He's lost his edge, and and I think this shows he hasn't. You know, he he now still he still understands that hey. I need somebody at quarterback who can go out and make me plays. He doesn't yeah. have he doesn't have to go win the game for me like Bryce did, but he's got to be good enough. So, with all that being said, we will start with their schedule. Game one, they play the mighty Blue Raiders of Middle Tennessee State. That will be a snooze fest. They'll beat them by fifty. Then they play Texas. And I think this is the game everybody has circled on their schedule. I think it's the game that all Texas fans think they're going to be – this is going to be their arrival. They're going to be back. I, I don't see it. I just don't. If Texas, if Texas couldn't win last year, they're not winning this year. I think – well, now I'll say this. If Alabama's QB situation is still really bad by the start of the season, then, yeah, I may give Texas an opportunity. But it's still going into Bryant-Denny where, I mean, I think they've lost, what, like, six times in the last seven years. Yeah. They haven't lost a non-conference home game since UL Monroe in Saban's first year. First year, yeah. That's actually a good point. So that was 2007. Yep, that's right. So, I don't think they lose that one either. Then – I, I don't know how this happened and how Nick didn't get this out of, off the schedule, but they go to USF. That's a, a random game. That is a random game. I was just looking at that. I had no idea. I didn't either until literally I looked at it tonight. I, that's that's, an that, is, that is an interesting game. And, and uh, South Florida just hired a new coach, didn't they? Yeah. I, who did they hire? Was it uh, – who did they hire? I, I literally am blanking on who they just hired. Let's see. South, oh, I just typed in South Carolina. Um, Alex Golish. Oh, oh, he's the – he was the uh, – was he not the uh, – was he not at Tennessee? Yeah, he's the Tennessee offense coordinator. That's right. He was Tennessee – that's right. That's exactly right. Tennessee offensive coordinator. 
and comes to Tampa. Yeah. So that will be an interesting hire to say the least. See how that works out. Yeah. Again, I don't see I don't see Bama losing that. So that's three, you know. Then they play yeah. Ole Miss in Bryant Denny. You're not you're Ole Miss not winning that game though. Yeah, I don't I don't see Ole Miss being able to win that game. In Alabama. Yeah, then they go to Mississippi come to Mississippi State. I don't see the Bulldogs winning that one. That's five and zero. Oh. So then they'll go to Texas A and M, and you know, no matter what type of team Texas A and M has had, really since they joined the SEC, outside of like one or two games, they've given Bama a lot of trouble. Yeah, you they know, really have. Can they do it again this year? I, I think it depends. I mean, that'll be game six. How good does that Bobby Petrino offense look at that point? Or have him and Jimbo Fisher hit each other with headsets on the sidelines? I mean, it's it's a chance it's going to happen. They'll either be 6-0 and or Bobby Petrino will have strangled Jimbo on, his, on the sidelines with his headset and he'll have taken over play calling duties. To be honest, that might be the hire that keeps Jimbo his job or gets him fired after this season. Oh, I don't think there's a doubt. That's the hire that's going to make or break things. I think so. And uh, I was trying to – I was trying to look at um, A&M's roster just to see um, – But, you know, you, you talk about A&M, and I, I, they have the talent to be able to hang with Yeah, it's kind of scary. It's kind of scary just the type of talent they have on their roster, you know? Absolutely. But what are, what are your predictions? Do you think they get it done or do you think Alabama cruises? I think Alabama wins. I think I think Alabama – I think Saban had that game marked on his schedule this year um, just with what Jimbo said, you know, and just kind of that the, – the, the SEC media day – you know, just kind of the beef back and forth with NIL, paying players, all that stuff. Yeah. But uh, I, I think Saban, I think Saban definitely has his game marked because this was the last game he lost on the road, you know, two years ago in, um, in Aggie lands. Yeah. And again, I think it'll be, I think it'll be a close game, but I, I do think that they get it done. So then they'll play Arkansas. That's a W. So that moves them to seven and zero with Tennessee coming to town, and Saban will have revenge on his mind. I, I don't know. Josh Heupel has now given Nick Saban problems, a lot of problems, two straight years. I, I'm really considering picking the balls here. I, I think it, a lot of it depends on what you get out of Joe Milton at quarterback by that point. If yeah. Joe Milton looks like he did in the Orange Bowl, then yeah, I think Tennessee can win this game. If he does, if he looks like Joe Milton of of old, I think Alabama wins. But being at home, being in Bryant Denny, I I, just, I can't pick against Alabama. Yeah, I, I like Alabama. I like Alabama's. Um, I like Alabama's um, defense this year. I really like that defense. I, is scary. I really like Kevin Steele coming in. I like that move. Um, someone that's been around the SEC. Um, I just I think Bama is going to be kind of back to a little bit more of their old school type, you know, winning days when it comes to playing tough, hard nosed defense, winning the line of scrimmage with the D with with a tough D line. Um, 
and then having four good linebackers, two two really good kind of inside linebackers that can really stuff the run, and then having kind of two edge blitzers that can really um, that can really um, you know stop kind of edge, you know, get some edge penetration, stop some edge rushes. Um, yeah, I think I, I think your next I think your next Will Anderson comparison, Rob Dallas Turner. I think Dallas Turner, I think Dallas Turner might be, if he stays four years, he's going to be a top three pick in the NFL draft. That kid's scary. He's good. He's good. So, there we go. We got Bama. He's a kid kid I'm really looking out for next year to really kind of solidify that Alabama defense. And then you have the freshman coming in. You have the fresh, the two, you have the two best players from Georgia coming in. Exactly. It's just, it's saving. So, then Bama off. And then they will play LSU in what I believe is going to define the SEC West, and it will be the de facto SEC West championship game. It's going to be an interesting game. It's Brian, it's Brian Kelly's first time in Tuscaloosa as a head coach. It's Jaden Daniels, you know, back on the road in a really, really hostile environment, whereas, you know, last year, LSU's schedule didn't really give them too many just hostile environments to have to go into and I think this year they're going into one in Bryant Denny that's just going to be a hornet's nest that's always a big game and now you send them in there and I'll be honest I picked LSU to win the division and I look at now playing Alabama at Alabama I'm not sure LSU can go in there and get a win. I think Bama wins that I think I think quarterback play is going to be so crucial for Alabama. I think, yeah. I think we're going to have to see just how how this quarterback stuff shakes out. You know, um, to be honest, I was kind of big on uh, Jalen Milrow. I know maybe not throwing the ball, throwing the ball, but just athletically the things he could do with his feet. I think there's still some 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 uh, possessions and some uh, minutes for him to play on this Alabama roster just to add some athleticism. But I think Alabama, just back to the LSU game, I think Alabama gets this game for sure. I, I just I don't I, I do not think LSU's coming into Brian Denny and winning this game. I think that might be more of a welcome to the SEC moment for uh, Brian Kelly <laughs> in year two. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, say they win that one, that's nine and oh. You go at Kentucky, Chattanooga at home, at Auburn to finish the season. I don't see any of those games that give you any sort of – I mean, Auburn's at the Iron Bowl. It's in Auburn. Yeah. But I don't think Auburn's there. I don't think they're going to be there yet under Hugh Freeze in one no. year. You got bound no. into the SEC championship against Georgia at 12-0. and 0. I mean, if that's the only loss, do they make the playoff? I think they do. Are you talking about their only loss being to Georgia? If their only loss is – if they're 12-0, and 0, their only loss is to Georgia and the SEC championship, do they make the playoffs? I would think so because look at Georgia the year that they won the national championship. They lost to Alabama in the SEC championship and then turn around and beat them in the turn, – turn around and beat them in the, uh, in the rematch game. So I think that – to be honest, I think that – I'm going to go – I know there's a, I know this is early. We're talking about football. We're talking about college football in May. But I think that 
the two front runners to getting to the college football playoff are Alabama and Georgia next season. Just based off, based off their schedule and yeah. based off the type of teams they have, play, they're playing at home. Like, like to be honest, Alabama is a very favorable away schedule. You're, I Absolutely. mean, at State, at A&M, at Kentucky, at Auburn. Like you're looking at your away schedule, and then we're ta- we talked about we talked about Georgia's schedule this year. Your toughest game, your toughest game is going to be in Knoxville. Yeah. Um, so who knows? I mean, who knows? But I think I think you have a, a a pretty I think a pretty good chance to see Alabama, Georgia in the SEC championship, both twelve and zero. I agree, hundred percent. Now that I sit here looking, I think I said LSU at one point, but Looking back on it, looking back at it now, looking at the schedule Alabama has, then we'll get to LSU's schedule as well. But I mean, Bama's two toughest, two toughest teams on the schedule: LSU, Tennessee, and I guess you can even throw in Texas if you're really feeling frisky about it. I mean, they're they get all of them at home. Yeah, so, I think both. I think both the Georgia, which this will be something we'll talk about more going forward, but I think. You know, both Georgia and Alabama, you know, it's just – it's a tough job as a, as a head coach. It's a lot of turnarounds on your coaching staff each year when you're successful. I don't I – don't, I think that is not talked about enough, just how many assistants you have to replace year in and year out. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think Kirby and Nick, they're the best at that. So, it's just, I'm just saying it's going to be interesting to see just how their coordinators really adapt this season and just kind of, you know, see – um, see how those those positions play out for both both programs. Absolutely. So long podcast tonight. So this is our last segment coming up. It's the top ten list of the night, the top ten NBA players currently. And so this one caused a lot of dissension, I guess you can say. Dissension is probably not the right word, but we had some disagreements. Um, at number ten, we got John Moran. I think you can you can make an argument for a lot of people the number ten spot. I just think the way he played and I thought his improvements in his three in his outside shot this year really have started to take him to the next level. Obviously, he's an absolute human highlight reel when he takes off from anywhere inside the three point line. But I got him at number ten. I think must see basketball and just seeing just uh, a superstar already, but even. He's still a superstar in the making as well. Like we're getting only early glimpses of John Morant. So it's, I think going forward, a top 10 player talent wise, but definitely a top 10 player that you need to watch going forward. It's John Morant, no doubt in the NBA. Number nine, Kevin Durant. And you're probably wondering, well, why is he number nine? Why does he say, look, he can't stay healthy. I mean, it's just, that's, that's the problem with him. He can't stay healthy. I mean, he misses 30 to 35 games a year right now. And now when he plays, he's a top 10 player. But unfortunately, he misses too many games. But he ma- he makes enough that I put him ahead of guys like Kawhi Leonard who can't play any games. Right. And I'm thinking if he can win a championship with another team. Oh, um, that takes him into the stratosphere. I think that, I think that takes him into the top, the top four. Oh, I agree. So – but uh, to be honest, I'd like to see him. I know I, 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 I really kind of wish he would have stayed on that Oklahoma City Thunder team. I liked him in that organization a lot. Yeah, I did too. I, I really did. I liked him there. And just, you know, he, he kind of – that's when the super team thing was really big. I don't think it's as big anymore. 
but you know, being able to team up with people who are extremely talented and win. I think that'd be a fun podcast. Just kind of the, uh, you know, the beginning of the super teams, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and, and obviously that begin would have begun with Boston. Don't you think? Yeah. A little bit with that, with the Allen uh, Pierce Garnett teams. Yeah. I yeah. think that's right there. And then Rondo, they obviously had Rondo already. Uh, well, R- yeah. Rondo was like a guy they had drafted and, you know, they kind of, yeah. played him. but number eight on the list. And I kind of debated this one because, I, there's a couple people I want to put here, but I'm I'm gonna go at the time I still think he's a top ten player is LeBron. I, oh, I just no question. And the guy's got he's got four championships, he's got four MVPs, five MVPs. You know, I mean, he's obviously one of the top three, two to three players to ever play the game. And has he been an All Star every year in the NBA? I think he's been an all-star. Every yeah, year. yeah, that's unbelievable. That's a, a 20, 19 or 20-time all-star. And he scored the most points ever. So, I mean, you yeah, can't. He scored the most points ever. But, like, again, this isn't the top 10 players of all time. This is top 10 players currently in the league. Right, right. So I think the talent level is pretty – I think the talent level in the NBA is just unbelievable right now. Absolutely. Um, but – uh I would think his age, just since we're talking about right now, I think just his age, um, his age makes him so great in some ways, but I think he would, you know, I think he, he even said it's harder to recover now than it used to be, you know, even well, one of his press conferences. Much, yeah, even how much time he spends taking care of his body, your body's going to catch up with you eventually. And yeah. I think I'm starting to see it. Yeah, for sure. But um, I think if we're doing this podcast five years ago, I think – one or he's, two. He's one or two for sure. So, so number seven on the list, it is a guy we have talked about and talked about and talked about and talked about. It is Jimmy Playoff Butler. I don't think right now you can watch the playoffs the last four years and not say when the lights are the brightest, this guy's the best. And so that, in my opinion, even though he's only been to one finals, yeah, it puts him on. The, it puts him up there. Yeah, and I think real quick, just to clarify, I think we already did, but I want the listeners to understand we're talking about top 10 NBA players as of May 1st, 2023. Now, if, right. if, if LeBron goes and wins the NBA championship, we think, I think, I think, I think we know who's number one. I think we could definitely put LeBron going from eight to number one. But yeah, we're talking about okay, right. Yeah. We're talking. We're talking about right now. We're talking about right now, May first. And if you look at the NBA playoffs, and you look at guys who have just been playing absolutely out of their minds and going absolutely unconscious on the floor, it's definitely Hemi Butler for sure. And by the way, <laughs> I would have added. Uh, I would have added James Harden if I would have cultivated this list before we started the podcast. <laughs> in Twenty-five tonight. So and yes, I know his name is Jimmy, but in playoff mode, we're going to call him Hemi Butler. Yeah, that because he just right now he's going off. But number six on the list, and I told you who I had on the, at this spot, and I've actually I've now changed it, so I'm moving everybody down a spot <laughs> because I, I do agree with you with who after watching last night and just remembering the specialness of that. So let's see if everybody moves down a spot. That'll mean Jason Tatum at number six. Yeah. And I think Jason Tatum has just had an incredible, incredible, really two to three year run here. 
with just how well he's been playing in, you know, the finals last year, the Eastern Conference finals last year. Tonight, I think he has 38. He played really good in the first round. I mean, he's just trending and trending towards being an MVP guy here in the next year or two. Oh, absolutely. Um, and just getting to the NBA finals last year, you know, that's that kind of solidified himself in the top 10. And uh, um, I'm trying to look. He's I was trying to look and see just what his stats were right now in the NBA playoffs. So obviously Jimmy Butler leading the NBA with 35 a game in the postseason. Um, Jason Tatum's at nine. So he's averaging he's averaging 39 minutes, 27 points. And granted, he hadn't had to play as much minutes and maybe have the ball in his hand as much as a Jimmy Butler. So I think Jason Tatum, talk about John Morant. We haven't seen his full potential yet. I think Jason Tatum's in the, on that same um, – kind of on that same level where we haven't seen the full Jason Tatum yet. So that's that's, that's kind of scary. That's an scary issue. And I don't necessarily at, disagree with it. Yeah, I think um, those guys are still developing and still improving their game. Um, I think those are going to be two fun guys. I think that would be an incredible NBA Finals in the future, Rob. John Morant, a John Morant, Jason Tatum final. That would be that'd be big time. Absolutely, and I could see it happening. I really could. Um, but yeah. I think I, I like Jason. I, I really like Jason in that sixth spot. I think that's actually a really good spot for him. So number five, I have Joel Embiid, and I waffle back and forth on to put him four or five with the guy who's I'm going to put four, and. I think Embiid, I think to get into that top three area, top four area, I think he needs to make a conference finals. He has not done that as of yet. So I'm waiting to see him do that before yeah. and win an MVP. He hasn't won an MVP yet either. Which I'm surprised. Well, Jokic is just playing so. Yeah, Jokic has been going off. So um, I think that's kind of the next step I want to see. But obviously Embiid is just – an amazing player, and I will say time and time again, the 76ers picked correct when they picked Ben when they picked Joel Embiid over keeping keeping Embiid over keeping Simmons. Oh, that was ooh, that's when scary to think about. That's scary to think about if they would have gone the other way on that. My goodness. You gotta remember like, after the 20, I think it was after the 2019 series where they get knocked out by Kawhi, like. There were people who wanted to keep Simmons over keep Embiid. That's scary. That is. That is scary. Like, you have a guy in the regular season, number one in scoring this year, and um, what well, I'm saying, averaging. He averaged the most points in the regular season, and he's top five in rebounding, and he's top five in blocks. Like, there's no doubt that he's a top five, could potentially be higher on some other list in the NBA. Absolutely. So number four. And just, just, I'm just being, being a true three-level scorer too, my bad, just to keep going. He's a true – he's just a true – even at his size, being, you know, 7'1", seven, 7'2", seven, like he's a true set three-level scorer. You know, he, he can step out and make the three. His mid-range is deadly. Um, and he can just, you know, body you up in the post and just score any way he wants. Absolutely, absolutely. So, number four on the list moving forward is going to be Luca. 
I think Luke is an MVP within two years, or maybe maybe one next year. The things he's able to do at his size with the basketball, whether he can go down and post you up, he passing his next level, he can shoot the three ball. He just has absolutely no help in Dallas. And every time yeah. he seems like he has help, they trade it away. Yeah, Luca was number two in uh, average 32.4 this year, number two in the NBA and points scored. But one thing that I really want to bring up is just his assists. I mean, he averaged eight assists a game. So, like, I think that's one thing about Luca. Like, he plays the game the right way and he makes the right play when it comes to making the shot or making the right pass. That you look up and you realize, like, he's got 25. He, I feel like he's got, he's like the quietest score until he just like goes off and you look up and he has 30 points. But I'm saying he always is. I think a really good, you know, unselfish player. He makes the right passes, makes the right read. Um, I wish that he would, which maybe not get so caught up in the antics of officiating and the calls they make, but just, you know, I kind of, I, I like the, his trajectory of where he's headed. And I know we talked about a potential, that's going to be, to be honest, if we're thinking about a team in the future, it's going to be interest or a player in the future Teams, it's going to be interesting just to see if a team really goes after him and tries well, to steal him away from Dallas. And we talked about it, what, two about a week ago and said, you know, my, is Miami a destination there? So yeah. I do agree that this this next 12 months will be very interesting in the Luka Doncic saga. Maybe you know, the Grizzlies. Maybe the Grizzlies sneaking in and getting them, you know? Why not? Why not us? Why not us? Why not Big Memphis? Why not Big Memphis getting the the, uh, the uh, Slovenians? I don't see that happening. So, Luca, Luca. <laughs> Number three on the list is the guy we we talked about for about twenty minutes earlier. Is Nikola Jokic? He just, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't really think we have to say too much because we did so much talking about him earlier. But again, he he's just elite in everything he does. So he's actually leading um, – I was trying to look. He's actually 11 right now in postseason points per game. And he is um, – I was trying to look and see what his ranks were. You know what he was ranked this year in the NBA by chance for uh, scoring wise? Oh yeah, twenty five. So yeah, twenty five. But he, but he averaged. There we go. He was twenty five. But he averaged. So think about this. Um, you have a player like Luca, Damian, um, Jason Tatum, Kyrie Irving. He averaged five or six minutes less time per game than those guys. So just think, he averaged twenty five a game. Yeah, where he averaged 24, 24.5, almost 25 a game. But if he gets, if he gets maybe four or five more minutes more of playing time and averages around that 37, 38 minute mark, he's averaging over 30. Absolutely. But just he does so much more than the, what the stats show. Just, oh, just yeah. his, his, his ability to pass the ball to double teams. You can't double team him. Uh, that's a t- that's probably that might be one of the toughest guard. That might I mean, when you think about trying to guard a a uh, 
when you think about trying to guard a uh, the old school Jazz in the pick and roll, Rob. Think about some of the players. You have a Carl Malone, John Stockton, two-man game. I think this Jamal Murray, Jokic is a really tough two-man game to stop, led Absolutely. by Jokic. Absolutely. So I just think what he does on the floor is just, you know, unparalleled of just, just kind of where he is amongst his peers. You know, he's, he's the top big guy in the NBA. Correct. And so number two on the list, I had him lower, but, yeah, he dropped 50 last night, so you got to kind of put him up there, is Steph Curry. And the guy's won – he's a two-time MVP winner. He's won – has he won four championships now? Is he at four? Um, yes. Yes. Okay, he, he won um, – 15 – he won 15, 17, 18, 22. 18, yeah. Yeah. So 15, 17, 18, 22. Yeah. Yeah. So I, mean, I had to play him through my head and think about him. Yeah. Four time NBA champion, two time MVP, multiple time all star. And I, I mean, this is me watching it. I, I don't know about you. When the ball, and, you know, we watched him now. We, our, we've watched Grizzly teams play him in both the grit and grind era and this new era. But, I mean, when that guy's dribbling the ball, I'm terrified because I just know he's going to pull up in some ridiculous fashion and hit a three where he's at half court before the ball goes down. Yeah, his handles are unreal. And just obviously we grew up in an era, Rob, where we got to see him in college really come. We got to see, we got to see the development of Steph Curry. Like we got to watch him in that 2008 NCAA championship um, tournament. Um, obviously, they got to the Elite Eight, lost to the eventual national champ, Kansas. But he was not really a put-the-ball-on-the-floor type player. Maybe, maybe he didn't have to be at that level. But uh, just, his, just the way he's grown and developed, just with his skill set, is just unbelievable. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, it's just – I don't think – I think at this point – you, you, there's not much else you can say about Steph Curry. He just truly yeah. is, he's the greatest shooter the game's ever seen. And he's one of, he'll go down as one of the top 10 to 12 players of all time. Yeah. And, and it's, it's amazing though, just, uh, you know, he, Steph's getting up there being 35, you know, it's, it's just pretty, it's just interesting to see. Um, and he had a couple scares early in his career with his That's ankles. What I was about to say, we didn't yeah. think he was ever going to get to this point. I mean, his yeah. ankles were terrible the first few years in the league. Yeah. So um, I really respect Steph and the career he's had and just where he's come from. That's yeah. why, that's why, to be honest, I like that Warriors team in a way, just because you had guys that were not superstars coming out of, out of college on their team. You have a, Play Thompson, you have a Steph Curry, you have a Draymond Green, you have guys that were not, you know, the number one pick that they have on their team. And they've built a team around just getting the right guys at the right time. Absolutely. And then number one on the list, the most freakish athlete I have ever seen in my lifetime, Giannis Antetokounmpo. I, I mean. We have Giannis at three? Yeah, I got Giannis at yeah. one. Oh, Giannis at one. Yeah. Yeah. Is, you know, he's the most freakish athlete I've ever seen ever. Yeah, no doubt. I just think he's – I mean, now you look, he's able to hit a three 
I mean, it, it's it's borderline unfair if they could ever get him any sort of help in Milwaukee. Yeah, they'd just be unbeatable. And he's another guy. We talked about it. Does Giannis say, I want to go to Miami? Yeah. It'll be interesting just to see what his career, kind of the way his career, you know, transpires over the next five years. But just dominant player. I've never seen a player just be able to get to the rim against some of the most athletic players and humans in the world and just get to the rim with ease. After getting a rebound on the other end, just his ability to handle the ball in traffic, if he can keep improving his 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 free throw shooting and his mid-range and even um, some pick-and-pop type threes at the top of the key, if, if he can really even improve that by 2 or 3%, um, you're seeing you're seeing a potential, you know, one of the best players ever. Absolutely. So if you had to, you say in five years, if you had to call it today, does Giannis win another NBA championship in five years? Well, that's a good question. I think with LeBron trending out of the league, I think with Steph Curry trending out of the league, because they're both going to be over 40 at that point, I would say yes. So the second part of that question, does he win it in Milwaukee? Um, I'm going to say no. I agree. I agree both points. I think he wins another one in the next five years, but I don't think it's in Milwaukee. And if you had to ask me right now where it's going to be, I, it's in Miami. That'd be big time. You don't think, uh, you don't think maybe like uh, New York could – I potentially kind of see the Knicks. Yeah, there's there was always rumors that he may go to the Knicks. But if you just have to ask me right now, from what I've heard, it Miami's the favorite. Yeah. I think Miami's the favorite for a lot of teams, just when it comes to their organization, their ownership. And it sounds like they have room to spend money. You know, you're probably well, not, not spending a lot. You're not spending a lot of money on a Gabe Vincent right now. You're not spending a lot of money on a Max Stress. You have, it looks like you, depending, I don't know what their cap space looks like, but I'm sure they have some money available to spend in the future. Absolutely. Well, folks, that will do it. That's all for tonight. We will see you all Thursday night, which the pod will drop Friday. Everybody have a great Tuesday. You've been listening to the Lefty, uh, Riding the Pond with Lefty and the Coach. We'll see you next time.